those things that grow out of live food is something that is going to nourish your body. We need to really unlearn what we learn about food and our relationship with food. We need to understand it's not about caloric consumption. It's about nutrition. And we Mm -hmm. focus on caloric consumption. Even during this pandemic, we have been fixated on, let me just give you enough to fill your stomach and not to fill you with the nutrients that would build and strengthen your immune system so that you can fight against not only coronavirus, but the flu, the common cold, and all of the different germs that are around us. So that's what we're falling short, that those who are the decision makers on how do we fight this pandemic or how do we move our city and state and country to a healthy place, they're not comprehending what it's going to take because our healthcare system is not sustainable. When you have 30 million Americans are diabetic, 84 million are pre-diabetic, they're waiting on deck. We're spending 80 cents on a dollar on chronic diseases in our healthcare system. Those numbers are just unsustainable. And then you have the indirect impact, the loss of time, productivity, people who are taking days off because of their illnesses or having to be caregivers for their loved ones. Uh, We are destroying our entire country and our ability to be competitive globally because of what is in our diets. And the American diet is not going to be able to sustain the American standard of life. Hi, this is Josh, and this is The Joshua Spodek Show, formerly Leadership in the Environment. I still bring you leaders in the area of the environment in the form of leaders and role models. Everyone treats stewardship like a burden or a chore, deprivation, sacrifice. So did I until I actually tried it seriously. It is a joy. Everything about it. We're here to share that joy. Meet amazing world-renowned people from all parts of life. Hear about them, what the environment means to them, and hear most of them find something meaningful to act on and then to share their experience. Why? Because stewardship and acting to help others for something greater than all of us creates about the greatest feeling humans can get, as does fresh air, clear water, delicious food, and clean land. That's what we're bringing you. Today, I bring you Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Brooklyn Borough President means he's basically the mayor of Brooklyn, which I believe would be the second largest city in the country if it were separate from New York. You're going to hear why Brooklyn voted him in with 90% of the vote. He shares his transformation from nearly losing extremities to type 2 diabetes, nearly losing, I think he may have lost vision in his left eye, to loving food as much as I do. And you've heard me talk about it. He covers the gamut of food issues, politics, education, business, history, all these external things, but most of all, family, community, and personal joy, community, and connection. Listening to him, it's almost impossible. It's really hard to keep in mind. Hearing him now how far he's come, because only three years ago, maybe four years ago, he was totally the opposite of this. Frankly, Eric can put this better than I can. You could, you'll hear why he gets elected. Here's Eric. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Eric, how are you doing? Quite well, quite well. Good morning to you as well. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And I have to start with something that totally by chance, yesterday, I'm on a mailing list that sends food policy emails out. And I start reading an article. And at the top, it says Eric Adams. And I think that can't be Eric Adams that I'm talking to tomorrow. And it was. It was you. It was, uh, it was in the, the Gotham Gazette. And it was about food and food policy. And it's not just quantity of food. That's important. 
but quality of food is important too. And before I let you talk, I'm also going to say that uh, in looking up about you, I believe that you served in the NYPD in my neighborhood. And so I thank you because I love my neighborhood and you've made it a part of, you've helped make it a wonderful place to be. So thank Thank you very much for that. Thank you. That's a kind thing to say. And, uh, you know, you like to know that your career made an impact on the quality of life for people to raise uh, children and families. I believe that. Well, thank you. And I suspect that food is something that, I also read that you had type two diabetes and that you reversed that. Yes. And I suspect that's what brought you here. (laughs) <laughs> a nice pathway that you just like laid out um, for all of us. Yes, I had type 2 diabetes at the late stages. I, I lost my sight oh, wow. in my left eye, and I was losing in my right. I had nerve damage in my hands and feet. The doctor said it was going to eventually lead to amputation as well as kidney failure. And three weeks after going to a whole food plant-based diet, my sight cleared up, and three months later, my nerve damage went away. My diabetes went in remission, and it's been a wonderful journey ever since. Well, holy cow. No wonder, I mean, this is – I mean, because I read a passion for food that I don't see in many pa- politicians. And it's not – food, I think it's easy to hear that and think little of it, but it's really a deep, meaningful, rich, incredibly rich subject. It ties us all together. Do I read a passion for it that maybe wasn't there before? Without a doubt. If you were to – uh, speak with me five years ago of around this space of food and, and even environment, uh, you would probably have a different conversation. And that is why I'm a, I am a strong believer that we can't reach people where we are. We have to reach people where they are and then take them to where we are. And we often talk over the heads of people, and that's why they don't grasp exactly what we're saying. And part of what we're doing here in Brooklyn is we are shaping our conversation uh, to allow people to really be receptive to what we're saying. And it has been successful, and we're going to continue to do that. Yeah. Can you tell me about some of the things that you're doing? Because I I see you out there, and you're calling for changes that seem so obvious, and yet... <laughs> I think we're giving handouts to places that are not particularly healthy while farmers are struggling to get their the food that they, they love, especially local farmers. They love to get to us, and yet it's getting – what are you working on? Well, there's clearly a disconnect in understanding not only how the body operates, uh, but how our economy and how our cities should operate. We are basically in the area of food and an environment where feeding and creating the crises. Uh, when you look at our young people in particular, uh, student, any, uh, a child at the age of 12, uh, 70% of them have early signs of heart disease, and it's because of the food we feed them. Many of these children come from low-income communities, uh, black and brown, immigrant and poor, and Uh, They are eating food. Their primary meals are coming from the Department of Education. They eat uh, two meals, breakfast and lunch, in the Department of Education. And the breakfast and lunch is really bad food. It's not even, we're no longer eating food. We're eating food like stuff. And it really feeds to childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. And while we're in a state where so much healthy food is all around us, and not having the farm-to-table connection or teaching urban farming, 
right here in our schools. Every school should have a greenhouse where they're growing their own vegetables and the children are serving it in the cafeterias. Those are some of the projects we have been doing with our schools, uh, teaching children how to grow food and eat healthy food and other projects around healthy eating and how it's a win-win. Not only does it save our mothers, but it saved Mother Earth. Our destruction of the planet is really connected to our overconsumption of animal products. The burning of the Amazon for feed for chickens and, and cattle. Um, what we're doing um, in many parts of our southern state, how we are using land not to grow edible food and healthy food, but for feed. And we are, we are really destroying our planet and our families because of that. You know, there's a whole, you said so much. And do you know Tony Hillary and Harlem Grown? Yes. Love, oh. love him. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly. So people who don't know, he started an, an urban farm, uh, 125th Street, 137th Street, somewhere in Harlem. And it's wonderful. I mean, and you go there and he's like, take whatever you want to eat. And it's, it's delicious food. And the stories that he tells of the kids learning what it takes to grow chard and what it takes to eat it and, and changing the world. And, and it's so much more than just like someone telling other people what to do. So true. So true. And what he's doing, uh, someone like him, someone like the Green Bronx Machine up in the Bronx, uh, someone like... Uh, Dr. Melanie Samuels here, here in Brooklyn, uh, they're like these modern day Paul Rivera's who are just basically, they were saying the pandemic is coming. The pandemic is coming. They were trying to warn us that if we don't start dealing with our health, those with pre-existing conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, respiratory issues, all of them are connected to the food we eat. And so when you have a system that feeds people bad food. We fed the pandemic uh, crises when you see people who died. 94% of the people who died from coronavirus had pre-existing conditions. And that is directly on our spoons and forks. And we could have had more control of the health outcome. And that is what you're going to start hearing people start to examine. Um, how do we start serving healthy food? What government serves? We're not talking about what happens in someone's private home. We need to educate people in that area. When you're feeding 96,000 meals a day to school children and it's unhealthy, when you feed in the correctional facilities in our jail, unhealthy food, our hospitals, unhealthy food, our senior centers, unhealthy food, ACS, uh, child protected custody, unhealthy food. Our government is feeding the crises. And we need to stop feeding the crises and showing people how to heal themselves. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you had this perspective that you said it very clearly, especially at the beginning. We're doing this. It's not <laughs> happening. We are doing it. And I presume the way you're talking about whole food plant-based, that you're probably in touch with um, Dr. Michael Greger or Dr. Joel Furman. And, <laughs> oh, now I got to share with you something I shared with them. And they're into this. It's difficult to describe See, you you were also not wanting to call some sort of stuff food because I don't want to call it food either. Right. And no one confuses, no one says like, I might get a drink of water. Oh, beer, that might be water. But, they, <laughs> but no one, but sometimes because we say fast food, they might think that something like a Twinkie is food. So I came up with a word. I propose it to you. I, I, I say this in a playful way, but also they really dig it too. And uh, Mary Nestle, I'm sure you're in touch with her too. So the word is doof. Doof is food backward, and it means 
It's the stuff that's produced to make you crave more of it. It's the stuff that's like the fibers all taken out. And that way you don't, if you say fast food or you say junk food, it has food in it. And people might think, well, that's food. Right. It's doof. Right. And most of the supermarket is doof. You know, there's a little bit of vegetable. Farmer's markets, all food. Yes. CSAs, all food. Most of, and doof is designed to make you crave it. And it's designed to extract wealth in this, in like neighborhoods where you can only get doof. I want to change that. I can't stand. Actually, I got to tell you, I, just before the pandemic hit, I went up to the Bronx because I met this woman at one, at this potluck. And I told her about my famous no packaging vegetable stews. And she's like, come up, show us how to do it because we don't know. We've kind of lost it. Like when we make our stews. So I went up there and I made a stew for, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 people. And there was nothing to throw away afterward. It was all stuff from local farms or from bulk food sections of stores. If it was like the beans and stuff. And people were like, this is, this is what we're looking for. This saves us time, but it's wholesome. And food brings people together. Food creates community. Yes, it does. You know, it's so funny that you, you know, what you said was, you know, it resonated with me. I remember the other day um, I had garlic and some onions. I love the taste of garlic and onions. I had it in the fridge and it was there for some time. And when I looked into my crisper, I noticed that the, both the garlic and the onion, there was plants growing out of them. They're sprouting. Uh Right. And I don't know if people realize how much power that is that the food you're eating, if it's growing something, then it's alive. And when you eat dead meat, the only thing that's going to grow out of a, a steak is something that's toxic. And those things that grow out of live food is something that is going to nourish your body. We need to really unlearn what we learn about food and our relationship with food. We need to understand it's not about caloric consumption. It's about nutrition. And we Mm -hmm. focus on caloric consumption. Even during this pandemic, we have been fixated on, let me just give you enough to fill your stomach and not to fill you with the nutrients that will build and strengthen your immune system so that you can fight against not only coronavirus, but the flu, the common cold, and all of the different uh, germs that are around us. So that's what we're falling short, that those who are the decision makers on how do we fight this pandemic or how do we move our city and state and country to a healthy place, they're not comprehending what it's going to take because our healthcare system is not sustainable. When you have 30 million Americans are diabetic, 84 million are pre-diabetic, they're waiting on deck. We're spending 80 cents on a dollar on chronic diseases in our healthcare system. Those numbers are just unsustainable. And then you have the indirect impact, the loss of time, uh, productivity, people who are taking days off because of their illnesses or having to be caregivers for their loved ones. Uh, We are destroying our entire country and our ability to be competitive globally because of what is in our diets. And the American diet is not going to be able to sustain the American standard of life. And and we're doing it. I don't like when people say food is medicine. Food is really, like when they say broccoli is really healthy. I think, look, people are can define what's normal in whatever they want. But to me, I think broccoli is normal and the other stuff is unhealthy. I want the normal state is eating fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, things like that. And 
the deviant thing for me is a Twinkie. Mm. I, like that's not even, that doesn't even, I could be dying of hunger and I, I don't know if a, a Twinkie would be, <laughs> I, it's not appetizing at all. And I, but I, I have to say when I was a kid, I would shovel them down. I <laughs> actually tell me you went through a change. If you didn't feel this way before, how did you feel? And do people have to get, do people have to start losing their sight before they make this change? Great question. Great question. Uh, and, and I say no to that. I believe that we, we need to start in our educational systems. I, I don't believe we use education, the collective audience of children and pupils and young people the right way. If I was brought up uh, in a system where I admired my teachers and I admired my faith leaders, and they were giving me instructions, they were shaping and carving my way of thinking. And so in these institutions, the relationships we have with food is being taught, we've been taught to like doof. We've been taught when we celebrate um, our birthdays, we have a big chunk of sugar, uh, ice cream and cake and cookies and candies, you know, so we begin to make the correlation of good time is bad food. And so we were almost brainwashed as children. When I used to have a terrible day in Little League, my dad would give me a chocolate cake. And so food is more than what we put in our mouths. It is the connection we have with the relationships we develop over a lifetime. And so by the time um, I came of age and was able to make my own decisions, those decisions were shaped by the people I looked up to to define what's normal. We have to show that the food we're consuming in the standard American diet is abnormal. It's not normal. Mm -hmm. And it really shouldn't even have this prestigious title as called food. I think what you did with the whole of doof is really right. We should not even be putting this in the categories of food. We shouldn't even be talking about it as here's some of your food choices. No, there's a choice for food and there's a choice for something that is harming your body. And so I didn't have this belief because the my norm was an environment of eating and consuming doof. And, and not until this awakening is was about food. And we need to start earlier of educating parents, of educating children, of educating institutions on what food is and the power of food in your body. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe it in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. So when you started, did you just wholesale switch all of a sudden or did you have to go through a learning process? Did you get people to help you or was it, uh, because I want to make it easy for people because I wish I was in my late thirties, maybe early forties when, you know, up until then there was ice cream in my freezer there are pretzels in my in my cupboard. There was chips in my cupboard always, and I wish I wish I'd started earlier. You know, and the connection to my sister, to my mom, to my nieces and nephews that came through food could have been there so much earlier. Yeah, so true. 
And I think that food must do uh, three things. It must look good, it must taste good, and it must be good for you. And understanding those three important areas, because our tongue has, each of our tongues will, will, will have a level of taste it desires from salt to sweet. It allows us to really encourage us to consume food so we can nourish our body. And understanding those three areas, when we start to change people and their mindset around food, we we need to look at those areas. And so what we're doing, we're teaching people how to make good, healthy tasting food that looks good and that's nutritionally sound um, for you. And that's so important. We're showing them how to do it in an inexpensive fashion. And we're showing them how to do it that's time consuming because many people really don't have time every day to make major uh, meals. We are showing people how easy it is to put together a meal, how to do prep for the week, how to make the food attractive, how to use spices to make it extremely tasty. And spices are, are just as powerful as the food you consume. And so it's about having a real well-organized plan of showing people how to actually chop up food and cook food and prepare food. We were at a food pantry and I handed someone a beet. They said, I don't know what to do with that. And so it is wrong to give someone a food type object without also giving them instructions on how to prepare it and how to make it tasty and how to make it look good for you. So here it is, this woman in her adult years missed out on this beautiful food called a beet because she had no idea on how to use it, how to prepare it, how to chop it, how to enjoy it. And so many foods fall fall in that category. And we're really educating people on how to use these beautiful foods that's, that surround you so you can make that transition from an unhealthy to a healthy lifestyle. And then we're connecting them with the reason your son is unable to get to school and is missing so many classes of school and his asthma or his diabetes because of what you said to put on his plate. And I think once people start connecting that they are causing some of the ailments in their family and their loved ones, they're going to change gear. And I see that in my personal family. Um, each one of my family members are going through um, a, a very serious uh, health issue right now. One sister has um, lost a kidney to diabetes. Another uh, lost uh, uh, has breast cancer. Another brother uh, has prostate cancer. One has another a cancer of his, um, of his glands. Thankfully, they're going through a recovery process, but even more thankful, they have all joined me and said, we want to go plant-based. We want to take control of our health and live a more healthy lifestyle. And so that is so important that, you know, bringing your family together and building that support system is so important because we identify ourselves by the food we eat. Yeah, I'd say it's important. It's also, I think, inevitable. It's it's almost impossible to eat this way without involving, you're going to end up meeting the farmer. You're going to end up meeting, I mean, you're going to end up at a farmer's market. In, in New York City, you're going to end up at a farmer's market at some point, And you're going to meet the person who planted it, who grew it. And it's going to connect you with people in a way that I don't think going to McDonald's does. I, I know that some people meet there, but it's not the same. It's just, it's, I have to say, you're making me hungry talking about this food. <laughs> <laughs> I start my day with a, a big smoothie and some superfoods. 
uh, to really break my fast. Oftentimes, we use terms in our language, various languages, without even hearing what those terms mean. And breakfast is breaking your fast. You slept through the night, you fast through the night. How do you break that fast without putting your body in shock? Forcing down two eggs on a roll with bacon and eggs and butter and jelly. And um, you are really traumatizing your body after you break your fast. And so I break my fast with a highly nutritional smoothie uh, with blackberries or blueberries and uh, cruciferous vegetables, uh, kale or spinach or broccoli uh, with some some superfoods like carob powder and a little ginger and just really get my body going. And it just really allows me to move through the day in a very you know, strong and clear mind. Because another big mistake we've made for years, we, we've separated the brain from our bodies. We believe what we eat, it has no impact on our brains. And now some great um, research and, and doctors have come out and shown that um, Alzheimer's and dementia is directly related to the food we're eating. We did a great seminar here at Borough Hall with two great doctors that are showing what they're doing around the impact of the aging of the brain based on the food you eat. Now, I, I told you I was hungry. It's getting towards lunchtime. What'd you say after the blackberries? Because I couldn't... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to have to... I invite you to come over from my famous no packaging vegetable stew. And I don't know when we'll be able to work it out, but I'm going to go through your staff and, and you're going to love it. And you're going to say, you're going to have to come I out. So that I think you're going to say, you're going to wish you'd had it earlier. And you're going to say, let's bring this out to Brooklyn. Just like I got went up to the Bronx. I'm also curious. Let's do that. Great. I'm also curious. Do you see the inner workings of the way, not what we're talking about, the opposite of like getting, uh, I mean, you go to food pantry, it's like all canned stuff. I mean, some of, some of it's probably pretty healthy, but a lot of it's probably like, it looks to me like corporate welfare to giant corporate. I don't know how these decisions are made, but I feel like there's like these mega corporations that are doof producers and they're getting handouts that are sending, it looks so good on paper. Like the government is supporting farmers and that's helping people in need. And I feel like when they say farmers, I'm putting air quotes here, it's really industrial doof. And when I say they say it's helping people, it's really giving them stuff that it's not the beets and the raspberries and the and the stuff that was made around here. But I don't know. I, I've only seen it from the outside. You know, it's so it's so important uh, to really get a full understanding of that question because my city harvests harvests my uh, food pantry distri- distributors. Their hearts may be in the right place. The desire to end hunger. But ending hunger is not caloric. It's not calories. And if we don't first grasp that, before someone opens a food pantry, before someone starts a food program, they should go through a seminar of what hunger is and not just use that term. What happens when, a, when your body is hungry? And if you don't have that understanding, then you're, the execution of your mission would actually fill bellies and actually starve bodies. And so we must go into the food feeding industry uh, to those in poorer communities globally 
uh, must go into an area of understanding what does it mean to address hunger. If you don't do that correctly, then you're going to go out and just put items in the bellies of people. You're going to give them overprocessed food. You're going to give them a processed flour, uh, instant oats with spikes diabetes, white flour with spikes diabetes, uh, meat and other substances and food-like products that are going to clog arteries. So our the good intentions of our City Harvest and other food feeders is actually feeding the healthcare crisis because they don't have that beginning education on what ending hunger is. Ending hunger is not filling the stomach. It's filling bodies with nutritional food. And the beauty is you're reaching people at their lowest moments where you can introduce them to something new. Because if you're hungry and you're standing in line at a food pantry and I hand you food that's good food, Because you're hungry and because you're desperate, you're more inclined to say, I have to eat something, so let me try this. And now you're realizing, like the old Kellogg's commercial with Mikey, he likes it. You know, he likes it. And people will start liking. There are foods I eat now that I hated, but now that I'm eating, I'm realizing how enjoyable they are. Red onions, sautéed, and beets, and and, um, bok choy, and all of these foods that I never even thought I would be consuming that I'm really enjoying. All of this can so it sounds like if you were losing, about to lose limbs and eyesight, you were really into not this. All of this, and, and you're speaking as knowledgeably as, as like almost anyone. Well, I mean, not like Furman and, and Gregor, but did all the, I mean, you've been busy being a politician and so forth. All of this came in like the background. I mean, it really, you've really done an about face and I, I hear like this joy and passion. Was it all in, is it what, three years, four years, five years or less? About three and a half years, close to four. But the joy of this is that I found my purpose. And that is why the joy has followed me. Because my days as a police officer, I wanted to always help people uh, that were in a state of distress. And I saw that I was helping people to deal with temporarily uh, with, with long-term problems, with temporary responses and solutions. And I, there was a level of frustration. And then when I got into politics, particularly when I became a state senator, I saw I was funding hospitals. Uh, I saw I was funding food programs. I was funding all of these Band-Aids on a cancerous sore. But in reality, I knew that it was only a matter of time before people were going to go down that process of, uh, metformin is medicine, uh, then insulin, uh, then losing eyesight and limbs and kidney failure, and then uh, limb amputation and then death. And so when I became diabetic and I became one of those people that needed help, I thought I was buried with diabetes, but I was planted. I finally found what I was looking for, that I cannot just respond to the symptoms of what is hurting people, but I can be part of the underlying reasons of underlying solution to change the problem. So I wake up every day excited. I found my purpose. I can stop families from watching their grandmothers and grandfathers go through Alzheimer's. I can stop children of having to deal with type 2 diabetes and inject themselves with insulin. And even, even those with type 1 to lower their uh, their level of medicine by having a good diet. Uh, I can you know stop people from getting 
serious cancers based on food. I could lower the numbers of colon cancer by giving to people and showing them high fiber diets. So I am so uh, happy that, you know, they, I think no life is more impactful than a purposeful driven life. And I found my purpose and I'm going to do this no matter what I'm doing in government service. Um, saving the lives of families. This is this is what I wanted to do since I was a little boy, saying that one day I want to do something that's going to save people, and I'm doing it. Oh man, I this is the most difficult part of this conversation is that we're running out of time. I, <laughs> I'm going to give you, please, I offer an, an open invitation to come back, especially if you can talk at length, because I feel like everything you've said deserves its own episode. Mm. So please come back and and. I know that you're in a position of serving your constituency in the public. If there's anything I can do to help you serve or to serve the, the same constituency, please let me know. I'd like to close. Is there any last words to say to, to close with? But I hope to have you back again. Yes, I would love that. And we should come and do a, a Instagram live of you and your, your stew, you call it? Your- yeah, my famous no packaging vegetable yes, stew. We're going to do that, arrange that. And so just I just want to leave people with the thought of where we are now, the uncertainty, the anxiety that we are experiencing. You know, I was here before um, after September 11th. We are a unique country. We have, traditionally, we've never had attacks on our soil outside of the Pearl Harbor attacks. And so we traditionally live in a level of comfort here in America. And so this pandemic, this attack of coronavirus has really threw us off center and it has not only uh, changed how we do business, but it has changed our thought process. And I remember September 11th uh, when the trade center was attacked and those buildings collapsed. Uh, We were terrified not only in New York, but across the entire country. But on September 12th, we got up. We uh, showed that we would still teach, we would still build, we would still uh, do our daily duties, and the rest of the country looked towards us and became inspired because of us, because of what we did. And so, of course, coronavirus is not terrorism, but it's terror, and people are terrorized. And the country is looking at New York, who has become the epicenter of this virus, and they're watching how we, we respond. And once again, we're going to respond in a way that only New Yorkers know how. We're going to stand up and we're going to forge ahead and we're going to be all right in the process. But rebuilding can't be redoing what we did in the past. We must be healthier. We must be smarter. We must be wiser. And it's going to take every New Yorker and every American to do it right this time. We can make a better country. And I believe it's quite possible. And I look forward to doing that with all the people who see the possibilities of being in New York and being in America. Well, you have my vote. You are, what you just said is why I created this podcast, Leadership and the Environment. Eric Adams, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take care. (laughs) As I said to Eric, this is why I created this podcast. The environment and food as a fundamental piece of the environment lack leadership. Yet when you bring effective, authentic, genuine leadership to the environment, look at the difference it makes, how fast and thoroughly Eric changed, the passion and conviction he speaks with, the importance of personal experience. You could, I'm sure people told him about this stuff before, but when it actually happens, it makes such a big difference. 
do you doubt that Eric will make a huge difference? I can't believe people still think one person changing doesn't make a difference. This is what happens. One person can make that difference. And this is just the beginning. I'm sure some people are saying, well, what I do doesn't matter. What he does makes a difference because he's Brooklyn Borough president. But what I do doesn't matter. I put to you, how do you think he became Brooklyn Borough president? Doing things like this. If you start, you will eventually make a difference. Maybe you won't become Brooklyn Borough president, but you will become influential in your community and as much as you want. It's all there for any of us. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.